everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Performance Enhancing Podcast with your hosts, Sam Schlesinger and John Margulis. Uh, I'd like to give a huge welcome back to John. He hasn't been with us for a couple episodes. He's been busy at home six weeks ago. He had three daughters. That's right. His wife gave birth to triplets and uh, he didn't want to miss today's episode, but a big welcome back to John. How you doing, John? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, a little bit tired, but uh, wouldn't pass up the chance to get back on the podcast uh, coming back from paternity leave. So uh, <laughs> let's let's dive right in here. So John is back with us today on a special episode. We, uh, we have an esteemed guest with us today we have uh elliot christ from the quant edge with us to talk about some uh some high standard deviation uh players today uh glad to have you here with us elliot thanks for having me guys i'm pumped to be here all right so let's uh let's get right into it the first thing i really want to want to go over before we get to the main chunk of the podcast is talk about rookie running backs now john and i were were very high on a lot of rookie running backs uh, earlier in the offseason when when rookie drafts were were starting to get kicked off in uh, you know May June but now it looks like a lot of the running backs are not quite as sexy as we thought they were we had um uh, we had Sony Michelle, who is John's, you know, number two overall rookie, getting a knee procedure. We have Ronald Jones, who has uh, carried the ball more for more yards than he's ran it. Uh, obviously, Darius Geis is out for the season with an ACL injury. Uh, Nick Chubb looks to be buried on the depth chart in Cleveland. So the guy I really have, the guy we really have left from that elite class of rookie running backs, uh, seems to be Royce Freeman. Um, so the question I have is, how high are you? moving Royce Freeman up there. Still some rookie drafts going on out there. Um, we just finished up a couple of our home rookie drafts. How high are you moving Royce Freeman up on your list uh, of rookies? And uh, and what do you think about the other uh, rookie running back situations? I think people are being far too reactionary to everything. You know, we're, we're looking at a very small sample size. We're talking, I mean, Darius Geis' ACL injury is obviously major, right? But it, we're going to move past that. With Sonny Michelle, he got his knee scoped. He's supposed to be back for the regular season. I still anticipate him playing well and playing a lot this year. You know, um, we're looking at Rashad Penny, broke his finger. That's a freak injury. I know people are excited about Chris Carson, but at the end of the day, when people draft, when teams draft, running backs in the first round they they give him the football i know people are worried about ronald jones he has not looked great on his 12 carries but think about what i just said 12 carries that's an absurdly small sample size to write a guy's career off if people are going to jump ship i'm happy to to scoop up kind of whether it's dynasty or best ball or whatever it is i'll scoop up late ronald jones because he's a second round pick competing against peyton barber who's a, historically i mean he's a jag he's just another guy and they just spent what, the 30th overall 38th overall pick on ronald jones and i don't anticipate him ever developing into a pass catcher but you know i'm still happy to take late ronald jones and understand that it may not happen the first couple weeks of the season but he can come on really strong as the season goes on uh in terms of royce freeman i wasn't a, when i first watched royce freeman i wasn't a huge fan but the one thing i gave him was i thought he had the best vision in the class he really understands defensive leverage and that he was going to look He's whatever a team blocks for him, he can he can get. But I think that people are getting a little too excited on Royce Freeman now. Like I I really liked fifth round Royce Freeman, but fourth round Royce Freeman makes me nervous in terms of dynasty. Uh, I would still I'd probably move him above Ronald Jones at this point. But other than that, I would kind of I wouldn't jump him above the guys who are considered the big four and you know Penny and Michelle and. Um, Geis. I would still probably draft Geis over Freeman. Listen, they like Booker for whatever reason. Booker's still first on the depth chart. He's still a good pass catcher. I mean, he averaged 9.2 yards per uh, target last year, which is actually more than Jarvis Landry in seventh overall amongst, amongst running backs. And Freeman's not known as a pass catcher. So I think people are so excited that there's live action that they're overreacting to everything. And if you can avoid doing that, I think you can gain a major edge in your leagues. That's what I'm uh, – a big thing I'm trying to do is not be too reactionary, as you said, to preseason games. And uh, it's, it's tough. You know, we all are all, we are all excited to watch football again. But uh, a lot of times what happens in the preseason doesn't really translate to what, uh, what the season, let alone what someone's career is going to be like. So I'm going to let John take it. Yeah, for me, like – 
Sony Michelle, I'm not really worried. Um, it's a combination of talent and need with the Patriots. I think they need and they've always wanted a you know a workhorse uh, in that backfield. Uh, Bill Belichick basically said that at the start of the 2017 season. He didn't like that the teams knew that they were going to run it with Blunt and you know catch it with uh, Deion Lewis and J- um, uh, James White. So like they've been looking for that Sony Michelle for that workhorse. So to me, people you know started to pounce on. Uh, Rex Burkhead and he's you know missing time with an injury so to me Sony Michelle hasn't moved anywhere uh his ADP is dropped to the you know sixth and seventh round and so you know I'm kind of moving with the waves there I'm moving with the motion for that but to me what I've seen out of Royce Freeman is exactly what you were talking about that vision and that patience he he takes what's given to him uh and I I really really I mean this is a back that I really liked coming out of college out of Oregon I think he was one of the most productive and one of the most, uh, you know, best backs with vision. And so when he was coming out of Oregon, I, I, I had him ranked fourth. Um, and I'd probably keep him right around that, right after Barkley, uh, Sony Michelle, and and then Geist. Uh, and then to me... I, I can't get on board on the on the Ronald Jones on the Ronald Jones train. Like to me, uh, everything that I saw in college is exactly what I'm seeing now in in the preseason. And what I you know what I've been hearing out of camp is that Ronald Jones he's not the best pass catcher, fine, but he's also really not good at pass protection. And that translates to playing time and playing snaps in in the NFL. And so to me, that's what I think is holding him back. And once he can learn that pass protection, once he can evolve in the pass pro, that's when I think, you, you know, I can go and start buying into the Ronald Jones hype. Which is fair. But I think the Ronald Jones hype is dead. Like, I didn't love Ronald Jones as a prospect. I was much lower on him than anybody else. But the Tampa Bay Buccaneers situation, I was very high on in terms of a landing spot, right? Because you're talking about competing with Charles Sims and Peyton Barber. These aren't exactly household names or very talented players. Uh, Jones has never caught more than 15 passes in high school or college. I don't think he's going to develop in that area. He said to be struggling with uh, drops, but I think he could develop into a Jordan Howard-like role. I mean, most rookie running backs struggle with pass protection. Um, Kareem Hunt was horrible in that area, both in college and his first year. Um, I think that, though, they're going to get Jones on the field a lot in first and second down, and as his stock continues to fall, you know, there's there needs to be – it, you're basically just buying on the dip. You're buying on the fact that they spent the 30th, 30th, 38th overall pick on him, and then he's going to get on the field. And that as a runner, he, you know, he's he is an explosive big play guy. Um, I just I hate when people start writing off a guy's career or season after 12 carries. I think that that's absurd to me. If you want to move Freeman above him, I have no issue with that. I just think that you know Jones is a guy that was example in redrafts going in the fifth round and now goes in the ninth. You know, I, give me Ronald Jones in the ninth over Peyton Barber in the tenth. Yeah, I I totally hear you on that, and I think just just based on what what I've seen, um, you know, on Twitter and, and people's reactions to how how the rookie running backs look, how any rookie running back look, uh, any rookies look, you know, you see Ronald Jones, you see he hasn't done great on his twelve carries, which as you said is absurdly small sample size. And then if he busts off one big run ne- next preseason game, everyone is what gonna just come back to earth with the Ronald Jones predictions. Like things happen way too, way too, like, with way too much volatility in, in preseason and everyone is reacting based on what they see. And like one good run could totally change everyone's opinion back. So I try to just, uh, you know, keep preseason at bay and not try and change all of my, you know, preseason, uh, all of my, you know, pre preseason research based on what happens in these four games that, you know, a lot of players are getting their first opportunity to play. A lot of teams are feeling different things out. I try and kind of not change things around so much, you know, over these games. Uh, Elliot, I, wanted I think to know, that's I wanted exactly to your, way to do it. Well, I wanted to get your take on carry uh, on Johnson. I wanted to know how you feel about him because the hype slowly starting to build around him. So this is this is funny because Johnson was a guy I liked coming into the draft. I compared him to Draymond Green where he's not great at anything, but he's good at a whole lot of things. And then you look at LeGarrette Blunt's 32. He's 32, 33 years old. You know, he scored one touchdown inside the five last year on 12 carries, which was the least efficient running back in the NFL. They only gave him a million dollars guaranteed. I think Johnson's going to get the first and second down work and splits the pastime work with Theo Riddick. And I was grabbing Johnson everywhere I could. Well, that's a terrible thing to say on a recorded podcast and I was <laughs> grabbing Johnson everywhere. Um, I was I was grabbing carry on um, 
as, as much as I could because, you know, he was going in the eighth or ninth round or in Dynasty he was going at the top end of the second round and he was going to be a running back that was getting a ton of volume. But now he's – it's kind of – you know, he had that big run that was called back. That video went viral on Twitter and everyone's on the carry on Johnson train. This, this goes back to, again, I'm trying not to overreact to everything because it's such a small sample size. We're talking about a quarter of football. Like imagine if – during the regular season, someone has one good play. Are you going to be like, well, now I need to trade for him? And, you know, he was a fourth rounder when I drafted him, but he had this, uh, he had a bad 12 carries. And so now I'm trading him for like a ninth rounder. Like you can't, you wouldn't do that in season. So don't do it in preseason. It's 100%. Way. Yeah, I, I like that. I mean, carry on Johnson, the guy that I was comping him to just in the, in his running style, when I was looking at his, as tape was uh, DeMarco Murray. He has that like upright running style. Um, and I thought he was a fantastic fit. Detroit moved up to get him. And he's really, you know, he's working against Abdullah, who I really think will, you know, be cut. Uh, by the time we do uh, 53 man rosters and blunt could spell him in terms of goal line carries. But I think that's really why they got him. Uh, And like you said, I think he'll be splitting uh, passing down backs with, uh, with Theo Riddick. So I'm actually a big fan of carry on Johnson, but I don't like that his value is rising because he was a steal in drafts like a month or two ago. And now he's uh, now he's going pretty, pretty uh, expensive for my taste. You want to end that, end that off Elliot? I was just going to say, I think that's exactly the point I'm trying to hammer home is that you don't want to necessarily just fall in love with players. You want to fall in love with like their cost. So with carry on Johnson, I really like the player, but when he starts going ahead of, uh, you know, other players in better situations who have better value, that's when you kind of need to back off. It's, it's why, you know, when we do these fantasy podcasts and we, we talk about rookie drafts and, April 1st now, you know, if you spread out stuff, you can get different players at different values and really take advantage of, of the dips and the uh, rises as well. Absolutely. So we've kind of, we've kind of covered the, uh, covered the rookies here. Uh, the main point being, uh, you know, don't go crazy with what happens in the preseason, kind of trust your, your initial gut on these, on these players. Um, but right now I want to talk, I want to switch gears and talk about um, a lot of players who are, you know, going in the first five, six rounds of, of fantasy drafts. We're going to be talking uh, about PPR format uh, rankings. And I want to talk about players where it seems the fantasy community and the experts overall disagree on and have, have players in, in different places. And the first time in the first two tiers of, of the rankings where, where it kind of hits a spike in standard deviation is this, the last four running backs that round out the top 10 uh, running backs in the draft, which are Melvin Gordon, Kareem Hunt, Leonard Fournette, and Dalvin Cook. So to start this off, I want to say that I really like all four of those running backs. I wouldn't have a problem with, uh, you know, having any one of those guys on my team. But if you have a late first round pick, you're going to have to decide which one you want uh, more than the other. So let's 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 start talking about uh, how you guys have um, have them ranked in terms of those four. All right, so I'm just going to jump right in here. And to me, the draft order that I have and like my rankings, I've got Melvin Gordon, Dalvin Cook, Leonard Fournette, and then Kareem Hunt. And to me, when I look at this group of running backs and when we kind of put this list together, um, to me, it's based off of uh, the research that I've done. I've done this, you know, giant amount of research that that's called uh, the running back uh, evaluator uh, RBE and it basically evaluates a running back situation on a team and basically predicts you know their situation their touches and their volume and uh, how they're going to be in the next season and these four running backs to me are the last true three down running backs um and to me, that's like, you know, the three down workhorses and it's not even really close. Gordon, um, with his, it seems like every year his uh, passing down work increases. And I think with the Hunter Henry in, uh, injury, I think uh, uh, Melvin Gordon increases his red zone looks. And uh, it's incredibly underrated, the Chargers defense. So I think Melvin Gordon will have a lot of um, second half uh, carries. And with Cook, I've been on record from last year saying that, you know, Dalvin Cook is my man. He was my number one overall rookie last season, and it wasn't really all that close to me. And Cook has everything you want in a three-down potential back. He has catching ability, ability to really move defenders with his body and gain extra yards. 
And so he has great patience and vision, everything that I love when I look at running backs and evaluate them. And if he's healthy, if he's truly back um, from this uh, ACL injury, which he should be, which all the beat writers are saying he is, he's going to be, you know, magic. And we saw him in the four games that we played. We saw that magic. And I really think that we're going to see that here. Um, and my projections, projections show that these uh, these two guys, Gordon and Cook, will probably get around, you know, 270 to 290 carries with probably around 50 to 60 catches. Um, and then I have Fournette and he's like, you know, 2B for me here um, right after Cook, uh, just because he's a monster, the sheer volume that he's going to get. And the only, you know, I've seen this guy up front. I was at the Jags uh, Jets game and this guy is absolutely massive. I'm talking about one of the biggest human beings I've ever like stood anywhere near. Um, and, you know, he's like Gronkowski, but a running back. And uh, to me, the only thing that, you know, spells him a little bit down is, you know, his injury history is his foot injury history. So that's why I dropped him down just a tad. Yeah, uh, he's going to probably miss a game or two. I factored that into projections. Um, and after that, I have Kareem Hunt, who, you know, once teams figured him out last season, he had a really mediocre middle of the season and came back. And I think the offense is going to be throwing a lot. It's going to be going from behind because the defense in Kansas City is pretty bad. But he still has the capabilities of being that three-down workhorse. And to me, I have all these guys going ahead of uh, pass-catching backs. Like, to me, my rankings are Gurley, Bell, Zeke, David Johnson, Barkley, and then Gordon Cook, Fournette, Hunt. Joe Mixon and then Alvin Kamara. And I know that's like a hot take at me. I don't really care. Alvin Kamara, I don't see because he's not a three down workhorse. He's just a pass catching back in my, in my view. I don't think he's going to have the touches and the workload to be that high. To me, it's, uh, Kamara. Right, so we're getting a little carried away. Uh, I'll give it, I'll give it to you, Elliot, next to, uh, to cover these four guys. And then I'll wrap up with, uh, with my thoughts on them. Yeah. So I'm going to go with, Gordon one, Hunt two, Fournette three, then I actually have McCaffrey four, and Cook five. So I, I understand we're talking about volume, but ultimately pass catching, whether it's even if it's standard, you know, targets are more valuable than rush attempts. They they you're the average point scored is more um on a, on a target than it is on a carry. And with Kareem Hunt, I understand that he had that little dip in the middle of the year. We had 37 yards, 73, 17, and 40. I don't really think teams figured it out. I just think that he didn't get the ball very often in those games because when he did get the ball over 20 times a game, you know, he was going for 116 yards, 155 yards, 91 yards, 107 yards, 101 yards, 172 yards, 148 yards. And then you add in the fact that he also had 63 targets on the season. You know, if that team passes a lot more, then I think his target volume is going to go up. And Christian McCaffrey, so what, led the league. I think he had 109 running back targets last year, 111, one of those two numbers. And this year, they they seem to be willing to give him more targets or more carries between the tackles. Now, I don't think that he broke a 70-yard run and his stock should go up. But I do think that – I think uh, Adam Spinks pointed out that last year he only had – 1% of his runs were explosive plays. While in college, both years, it was 5% and then 6% the year before. So that number should go up and should create more big plays. Um, with Fournette, I think the ankle injury is the big concern and the fact that he's not a very good pass receiver. I think Yeldon and Grant are going to cut into that big time, uh, though – Fournette does have the kind of game script of defense and run the ball in his favor. But for, you saw Fournette really wear down as the year went on. I think he went like four or five straight games without even breaking a tackle. Um, with Dalvin Cook, I'm, I'm a fan of Cook as well. Uh, I'm not worried. I think it was crazy when they said that Murray and Cook could split work. But I think that Murray could absolutely become the goal back. Uh, I think that they... Well, that was before Murray fumbled the ball twice this week. <laughs> yeah. That's not – I mean, that's certainly not a great look for him. But Cook's also had a problem with fumbling before, right? I mean, um, I just – I like Cook. I would just – you know, coming off an ACL injury, I think he did look fantastic. But we'll, we'll see how everything plays out. There's a lot of mouths to feed in Minnesota as well. So um, – I, I think they're all on a tier. I, th I think Kamara's above them for the record because of his pass catching work and his efficiency and his volume likely to go up. But that's, again, that's a topic for another day. But th that's how I would rank them. Right. So I actually have mine ranked uh, very similarly to yours. I have Melvin Gordon, uh, then Kareem Hunt, then Leonard Fournette, and then Dalvin Cook and, uh, and Christian McCaffrey. I think 
Uh, it looks like we all have Melvin Gordon uh, on the top. I think his targets and catches have you know rapidly increased in, in his career. He's uh, he's had he had over five targets a game last season, um, and I don't think anything really changed to affect his uh, his output, his production. I think the his three point nine yards per carry last year is like definitely weak, but I think their offensive line has gotten better. Uh, his his three hundred and forty two total touches were fewer than. Uh, we're only one fewer than Todd Gurley and four fewer than uh, four less than LaShawn McCoy last year. I really like uh, Melvin Gordon. He hasn't really impressed so much with with what he can do with his carries per se. But I think with a better offensive line, that's going to increase and his and his uh, and his pass catching with uh, with Hunter Henry out is only going to continue to increase. So I really I really just like that uh, like that value. Um, and then Kareem Hunt, I think. Uh, you know, as you said, he did so much with, with what he, with what he was given. Uh, and I, and I really love, uh, the, you know, the number one guy in, in Andy Reid's offense. I think a lot of people are worried with Spencer Ware coming back and then signing a whole bunch of running backs this off season. But, uh, a stat I looked up was that Andy Reid, uh, in his last six years, his number one back has had over 60% snap share in five of the last six seasons. And, in the one season that it didn't happen is when Jamal Charles went down in week five and then Sharkandrick West came in and had a 75% snap uh, share over the rest of the season. The one game Sharkandrick West didn't play because he was hurt. Spencer Ware had an 85% snap share. So I'm really not worried about Kareem Hunt, you know, losing opportunity as some people might be worried. I really, really still like him. He, um, you know, since, since the since 2000, he was fourth in rookie scrimmage yards, which is pretty huge. I, I really like him as well. And Leonard Fournette, uh, I, I go back and forth between having Leonard Fournette and Dalvin Cook in the three and four spot of this, but I just really think the the game script uh, of what a lot of the Jaguars games are going to look like really favors Fournette. Um, the Jaguars last year had 35 more rushing plays than any other team in the league. Um, he also got a bump in his offensive line uh, this offseason. He had the seventh most carries uh, which was 268 last year while playing at least two fewer games than the six running backs who were ahead of him on that list. Expanded over 16 games, Fournette was on pace to get the ball 329 times, which have been eight more times more than Le'Veon Bell. Um, so again, I, the, 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 the things I have against him are really the injury, which scare me, and the fact that among these other running backs you have in this tier, Fournette is the weakest link in terms of the passing game, which in PPR, that really matters a lot. He was only averaging a little over three targets per game last season. Dalvin Cook, again, as we both said, I really liked. I really liked him coming out of college. He was like my number two uh, rookie running back last year to go get. And the, the issue is we really only saw a you know three-game sample size from him. And while I don't think you know him and Latavius Murray are going to split carries. The fact is they do have a very valuable back, uh, backup in Latavius Murray. I don't think they're going to be afraid to use him when they think they need to. Um, and I don't know why they would rush, you know, Dalvin cook back into having 20 plus, you know, touches a game right away when they have someone like Latavius Murray who can help take some of the pressure off of cook. So that's kind of how I have them ranked. And uh, the next guy we're going to talk about uh, who has a spike in his standard deviation, a lot of people are, 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 have different opinions on him, is Joe Mixon. Uh, for me, uh, I really think Joe Mixon has, you know, a three down back ability. What one of, one of the best things he was in college was, you know, a receiving back. He had 65 receptions over his two years in Oklahoma. Um, so I think he really has the capability to be a three down back. You know, obviously we still have uh, Geo there who's going to dip into that a little bit. The thing is with, with, um, with Joe Mixon for me is although I think the offensive line um, improved uh, over the off season, they had the, the Bengals had the fourth fewest rushing plays and the eighth fewest passing plays. And they were dead last in the league in total plays last season, which you've got to feel like has got to, has got to positively uh, regress. But Joe Mixon was only the running back 29 in games without Jeremy Hill last season. And, you know, everything is, everything is set up there for him to do better this season than he was last season, but he only had three and a half yards per carry. And it, that scares me a little bit. And, you know, while things are in place for him to succeed, I kind of want to see uh, a little bit of what that might look like before I really buy into Joe Mixon. But uh, I'm going to pass it on to to you next. Uh, Elliot, go for it. So 
Yeah, just one other point on Melvin Gordon real quick, and since we all agreed on him, is that, you know, he's also Mr. Consistency, right? Like, he only scored single-digit fantasy points twice last year. So that's that's a, another huge thing is that you're going to get spike weeks with Gordon, but he's all, you're basically also guaranteed an RB uh, uh, two or better every single week. But with Joe Mixon, I think a lot of your points are are dead on. You know, the offensive line did improve. They drafted Price. They added uh, Glenn on the line. This team's pace is, should go way up. The volume should go up. Um, Jeremy Hill's not there. Mixon should get the the goal line work. The, you saw him split him out wide. And people got excited about that. Your your points about how he was used at Oklahoma is is spot on i mean you know he he's a big he's a big back but he could play slot receiver they can they can get him the ball in space you know he, he's a freak athlete that's that's kind of what he he does um the way i look at mixon is you know i do a lot of best ball and i don't want to be overweight or underweight on him you know i kind of want to have in that 10 to 15 percent of mixon because i think his ceiling is really high at the same time you know he hasn't really proven much in the NFL yet, and Giovanni Bernard is a very capable pass catching back, and they may, you know, give Gio a fair amount of work this year as well. So I know that's not exactly a clear cut answer, but I'm, you know, I'm kind of, I'm hold on mixing. I'm not buying or selling. Yeah, I, I mean, I really kind of have slowly started to turn and buy in on Mixon last season. I was not the biggest fan of his um, as he was coming out of college, and I think a lot of people still have this tarnished memory of a you know, not great production last season. People don't really remember that he was, you know, playing injured and missed time because of injury last season. And people still have, you know, that off season memory of last year where the video came out where he, you know, beat down on, on a woman and which is absolutely horrible. And people still have that sour taste and a lot of people won't draft him because of that. And so I think he's still going at a very good to decent value where you're, you're getting him, you know, at the beginning to middle of the third round. And, you know, if you, if you're one of the first three picks in the draft and you get that turn on the third round, um, I'm picking up Joe Mixon there. I really like him. I mean, he's got a standard deviation. One of the highest ones we're talking about here of uh, 10.8. Um, so right, and just a quick note on the standard deviation. Obviously when the rankings get, you know, further and further, the standard deviation gets larger and larger. Obviously, you know, with Le'Veon Bell and Todd Gurley, David Johnson, the standard deviation is really low, but I'm talking about spikes in standard deviation, compared to the guys uh, drafted around him or, or ranked around him. And Joe Mixon, everyone around him is kind of like in the six to eight, uh, maybe nine standard deviation range. And then Joe Mixon is a standard deviation of 10.3. So those are kind of the guys we're, we're talking about. Yeah, I mean, I, I do really like Joe Mixon. I think his best, you know, skills is, pos- is he's, he's a decent one and two uh, down back. But as a third down back, he has that ability to be a three down workhorse and, you know, line up out wide, line up, you know, behind it, take the ball outside, um, take it on slants and take it in, you know, in, uh, in out of the backfield, um, catching the ball. So I really like Joe Mixon and I think he's still a very good value and he has the potential to finish as a top 10 running back. Uh, so be, him being drafted as the 14th running back off the board, ECR 30 overall with a standard deviation of 10. I I love Joe Mixon here. So the next guy we're going to talk about is going to be the first wide receiver we talk about, and his standard deviation is 10.7 uh, in the same kind of area as Joe Mixon. That's Amari Cooper. Uh, Elliot, we'll let you start off with this one, and then and then we'll uh, we'll add on. Yeah, I like Cooper in the fourth, but he's one of those guys that I think is is in the range with a few other really talented players. You know, Tyreek Hill's falling in that range, and I understand Hill's efficiency numbers are absurd, but, you know, we said that last year too, and Hill might just end up being that absurdly efficient guy with his speed and big playability. He's right around Larry Fitzgerald too, who's probably locked into another 160 targets, 1,000-plus yards, and six touchdowns. Uh, Cooper, I'm assuming that his deep ball efficiency improves. Uh, he he kind of gets a handle on his drops. Uh Gruden, you know, has said to be a big fan with Carr. I I like Cooper this year, but I would, in terms of guys that go right around, you know, Baldwin is a guy that's been falling a lot because of his potential injury. Um, Cooper is a guy that I like, but I would put those three guys I just mentioned ahead of him. Yeah, I I agree with that. And, like, I'm I'm coming from a a little bit of a biased uh, standpoint on Cooper here because he completely burned me last season. I owned a lot of him, especially in my – my main home league uh, with all the guys that I watch football with, I had Cooper and he, you know, he totally burned me. He had, uh, was it 30% of his passing yards and 28% of his fantasy points. 
came in one game. So it is going to be really hard for me to, you know, get back on the horse and draft Cooper, though I, I do think going in the fourth round is great. And I agree with you that I would take uh, the receivers you mentioned, uh, Tyree Kill and uh, who'd you say, Doug Baldwin, and one other guy you mentioned um, over, over Cooper. But I was looking at um, what John Gruden did when he was in Tampa Bay and how, he, how, his, how it kind of went with his receivers. And it seemed like he really, you know, featured his ex receiver. It seemed like he really fe- featured his number one guy. Uh, only one of his seasons there did his number one receiver get less than 120 targets. He usually got somewhere in the 130, 140 range uh, with at least a 23% uh, target share. And Amari Cooper is still a big, fast, you know, fourth overall pick wide receiver who was just about to, you know, break into who we all thought he was going to be last season. And he, went into the other direction. I think he can, uh, I think he's going to recover from that and, and, and get back on, on track for this season. Yeah. I, I, I like Cooper. Uh, I don't agree on the Tyree kill at all. I'm not drafting Tyree kill at all, unless he falls to me in the 10th round. Cause that's where I think he should go. Cause he's dirt trash, you know, glorified punt returner in my opinion. But, uh, those are fighting. For what? Two How seasons you... now that Tyree kill is a glorified punt returner. And now that two seasons in a row, he's been, and, fi- and finally, finally Kansas city went out and got a real wide receiver mm-hmm. in Sammy Watkins. So trust me, Tyree so, kill ain't finishing. Well, how do, but, but how do we, how do you say, I understand having an opinion originally, but how do you not change with the data as the data changes? Like Tyree kill is, no, okay. After after last year, I had to admit that Tyreek Hill absolutely was a very good and very productive fantasy wide receiver last season. Just what I predict in the offense, I, I really see Tyreek Hill as almost the fourth option there. They finally have a real wide receiver in Sammy Watkins. Um, I think, you know, Tyreek Hill will be that burner. We saw that on the, what, 70, 75-yard pass that Mahomes threw to him. Um, he'll be that, you know... Uh, jukey kind of gadget player that he is. But Travis Kelsey, Kareem Hunt, and Sammy Watkins, I think, will favor in terms of targets over Tyreek Hill. And to me, that just spells uh, doom for somebody that's being drafted in the third or fourth round. So, Elliot, I'll be, I'll be honest with you. I'm also not the highest uh, Tyreek Hill guy, but uh, I'm, I'm not nowhere near as extreme as John. And I've tried to debate this with him many times. I'll, I'll let you have your shot at it if you want to respond to some of I the don't, outrageous things. So, I mean, that's kind of how I originally thought about Tyreek Hill as well. But, you know, if with his playmaking ability and i understand you know last year it was there's no way he can replicate that efficiency and and that number of deep touchdown passes but that's kind of who he is i mean he's four two speed he he's amazing out of his breaks he runs good routes he's now playing with patrick mahomes who's probably better better fits his game than alex smith i mean alex smith never threw deep before tyree kill and then he led the league in deep yards and then patrick mahomes on the chiefs team they're gonna be playing some shootouts this year. That defense is terrible, and they're going to be chucking the ball all over the field. And I think, you know, listen, I, I'm a big Sammy Watkins guy as well, but Hill's big playability is, I, you know, I just, I don't think you can apply the the standard, you know, logic to to Tyreek Hill just because of how many big plays he makes over and over and over again. He's constantly behind the defense. I mean, he just ran behind a triple team for 70 yards of Patrick Mahomes. I understand I'm overreacting to one individual preseason play, but that's what he's done his entire career. He gets lost behind the defense and he makes big plays. And he doesn't need as many targets as other guys because of how, how much he does with individual targets. And that's, I just think in the third or fourth round, or even in the second round where he's going, you're drafting him at his absolute ceiling. Like if everything goes well and, you know, let's say 14 out of 16 weeks, he goes and plays and has these big plays for touchdowns or, you know, where he has like 70 to hundred yards and a touchdown, then yeah, he he's that third, fourth round value. But to me, that's his absolute ceiling. And really in the sixth or seventh round is where his, 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 you know, floor is. So you should be drafting him in the fifth or sixth round. You're not getting any equity in, in him being drafted in the, in the second or third round. I haven't seen him go in the second round at all. I mean, he's kind of really settled in at the top of the fourth round in the drafts I've been in. But at the same time, like he had 105 targets last year, right? What if, what if it goes up to like 120 with Patrick Mahomes? 
Look, if he has if he has 120 targets, then I might you know have to eat my words and and say that well yeah, then he's definitely the wide receiver one on the team. But I just don't see that type of uh, target share that he's going to get with so many mouths to feed. Um, and I get that they're going to be playing from behind, and I'm using that game script to you know glorify Kareem Hunt and Travis Kelsey and Sammy Watkins. I just think he's the fourth mouth to feed there behind those three guys. So I just I don't like I, I again I hear where you're coming from and. You know, when when Tyreek Hill had that amazing rookie season, I was like, there's no way he's going to be able to do that. He's not a real wide receiver one. He's not going to be productive next year. And then last year he was extremely productive. So I'm just I'm more and more coming to realize that, you know, you you do kind of uh, get what you pay for with Tyreek Hill while he's he has an absurd efficiency that just it hasn't gone down yet in in what he's done. And that's just I, I, I think I'm realizing that's just the guy he is like he's so good at what he does right now that he's going to keep doing it. And I like, I'm, I'm, I'm liking him more and more and I'm not going to, you know, continue to dip on him until I see him dip. And yet we can, we can predict it year after year that there's no way he can keep up what he's doing, but so far he, he has been doing it. And while I'm still very hesitant to draft him, you know, I think he's going in the fourth. If I get him in the middle of the fourth, I think that's a great, that's a great pick with his upside. He's, he's not going to get the same amount of targets as, uh, as you know, these other guys who are being drafted around him, but he's incredibly efficient with his targets. And he, he's that deep threat. We saw what, what, what Patrick Mahomes can do uh, with a guy who can run like that. And again, as, as Elliot said, I think even though Alex Smith was the best, you know, had the best deep passing efficiency uh, last year, that was largely because of Tyreek Hill. And now go to, now you get uh, Patrick Mahomes, who was dubbed as a deep passing kind of guy with a receiver who who can bring that out of, you know, someone like Alex Smith. I think you have a lethal combination there. And again, I am very hesitant with Tyreek Hill, but like he, he hasn't done anything to show yet that he's not uh, going to be who he has been so far. Look, I'll, I'll be the first one. I'll be the first one to eat my words if at the end of the season he finishes where he's being drafted, but uh, I'll, I'll stay on record saying that he, he finishes outside the top 24. Okay, I'll, I would I would take top 24 finish for Tyreek Hill for sure, but like Alex Smith is a better quarterback than Patrick Mahomes, but Patrick Mahomes is a better quarterback for Tyreek Hill. Yeah. I mean, Tyreek Hill was targeted on 21 go routes last year and finished with uh, – he averaged 29.7 yards per target, and on 12 of his catches, he scored six touchdowns. I mean, he is a big play machine, and that's exactly what Patrick Mahomes' game is scripted around. I guess I also – you know, I'm talking a lot of, about – these drafts and ADPs and it's best ball and Tyree kills game is much more designed for best ball than it is redraft or dynasty. So that, that plays a role in what I'm talking about. Um, so I, I just want to clarify that, but I, listen, I think you guys are, I think I, it's, it's tough. Cause I've never been a Hill guy. I just think that, you know, his, uh, this is also his third year in the NFL and we saw him grow from kind of more of a gadget guy to more of a receiver in year two. And if he takes another step in year three and gets an extra 15 targets at that efficiency, I mean, he, he could be a league winning pick as well. I just, I don't think he's a guy you want to ignore completely. Agreed. Agreed. So I'm going to, I'm going to move this on. And we we kind of diverted from yeah. Amari Cooper there, but uh, whatever. The next guy we want to talk about uh, is Kenyon Drake and Kenyon Drake is a guy who a lot of people have uh, mixed feelings about. What is his, uh, his standard deviation is up at 15.6. Um, I actually, I didn't, I, I like Kenyon Drake. Um, we all know in the last five games, 2017, no running back had more rushing yards. Uh, he was the running back eight in PPR. So the big question with, with Kenyon Drake is, well, really twofold, what the usage is going to be like with Frank Gore and Kalen Balazs there. And, if the Miami Dolphins are going to score any points uh, is another big question. I actually like Kenyon Drake. I'm kind of trying to um, starting to sweeten up to him a little bit. I'm just not too worried about um, Kalen Balage. I, I didn't really like him that much as a prospect. And, you know, what came out last week when Ryan Tannehill uh, kicked him out of the huddle for, for missing a blocking assignment and he didn't play uh, in this week's game. I'm not super worried about Balazs, you know, getting into Drake's work. And and Frank Gore doesn't scare me that that much either. You know, he's been really down in yards per carry last season and season before 3.9, 3.7 compared to uh, Kenyon Drake's 4.8 yards per carry. We see, we like, obviously not to overreact to preseason, but 
Kale, uh, Kenyon Drake can still, he, he's a very explosive guy and he's going to, and he, he busted out runs last year. He busted out runs in preseason and he's going to continue to bust out runs. So I, I really do like him, uh, you know, kind of where he's ranking, where he's, where he's being drafted. Uh, I think the Dolphins are going to quickly realize that he's the best back they have on the team and, uh, and they're going to work from there. The only thing that scares me about Kenyon Drake is Adam Gase. Because I think everything you just said is so logical. I mean, Balaj isn't Balaj has Stevie Wonder vision, you know, and <laughs> and Frank and Frank Gore's a dinosaur, right? So like here you have this young back that was an absolute stud last year. And you look at like when they when he was on the field, the run success rate went from thirty four percent to forty four percent. The pass success rate jumped seven percent. The explosive run percent doubled, the explosive pass percent went up three percent, the yards per carry went up by over a yard per carry and the yards per pass attempt went up by over a yard per pass attempt like when he was on the field the entire team was so much better and we, we've seen these big playabilities we know he's a great receiver you know he's competing against uh a guy a bigger back who kind of looks like tarzan plays like jane <laughs> and frank Gore, who's like 100 and i just if the dolphins come to their senses and use drake properly and say wow drake was awesome last year we we need to get this guy on the field. You know, every time he gets on the field, we're a better team. I think that Drake could be a league winning pick, honestly, when he goes in the fourth round. You know, he he could match the that second round production of other guys. The the thing that scares me is is Gase. Um, but the other thing about Drake is if the Dolphins don't score a ton of points and they are behind, he's an excellent receiver. So, you know, I, I think game script worries me a lot less with Drake as is because when he was on the field last year, the Dolphins threw 66% of the time uh, compared to when he was off the field, they threw 59% of the time. So, you know, he, he's a guy that can absolutely succeed when the team goes past heavy as well. Yeah, I, is, Drake is one of those players that exactly like you said, I'm worried about the coaching and the play calling. Um, when I look at, you know, my RB that I'm doing, the, the running back evaluator, what I saw – you know, in the last five games, which is where he was the starting running back, he averaged 21.6 touches per game. And if we put that out to a 16-game, uh, you know, season, that's 345 touches on the season. Now, if we dial that back even just a little bit so that there's, you know, a little bit more of a less of a standard deviation and efficiency, and let's say he gets 300 touches and Adam Gase doesn't spell uh, Kenyon Drake for us, we're talking about somebody who has sheer volume. And just to throw a stat out there, and it's a stat that I absolutely am floored by and I love, is that since 2010, there have been only 62 running backs with 300 or more touches in a season. Only four of those backs have finished outside the top 12 and none have finished outside the top 24. So if Kenyon Drake keeps up the volume that he had in those last five games, and if Adam Gase doesn't ruin this this guy, I think Kenyon Drake can easily finish as a top 12 guy and I, I I love him and I love that his value is slightly dropping because of Frank Gore and Kalen Bellage. And then one other thing just to add up on that is that if he gets his volume, I mean he's he's gonna be amazing. But even if he gets less volume, his efficiency numbers allow him to potentially make exactly. up for that, right? So Gase, Gase and injury are the only two things that can hold us back. <laughs> like, it would be so Dolphins to run Frank Gore out there 18 times a game. That would be for like three that yards would be of a carry. nightmare, like for everyone involved. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, so I guess we're, we're, all, we're all in agreement that Drake has the potential to be a league winning, uh, you know, a league winning pick, especially where he's being drafted. It's just, uh, you know, it, it, the Dolphins just need to get their act together and realize what they have. Um, so there are a couple guys uh, I want to I want to talk about before we uh, play a little game uh, at the end of this episode. The next guy I want to talk about is uh, is Alshon Jeffrey. Uh, his ECR is 48. He's going as the wide receiver 24. Uh, standard deviation of 18.4. Now, big thing uh, with Alshon Jeffrey is the rumors that you know he's still injured. He might start the season on the on the PUP list. So, you know, that I understand if that's what's, you know, kind of bringing his ADP down and bringing his rankings down. But another big issue for me with Alshon Jeffrey is the fact that his touchdown rate last year was absolutely absurd. He had, uh, what was it, nine touchdowns and only 57 catches. Only Will Fuller had five or more touchdowns on fewer catches than Alshon Jeffrey. Uh, and Fuller had seven. Jeff, uh, Jeffrey's touchdown rate, uh, as, along with you know Carson Wentz's touchdown rate, I think have, have got to come down. Uh, he was he, he was big in the postseason, Jeffrey, but I just 
there's just something I, I don't I don't trust about you know the Eagles passing game in terms of their wide receivers uh, and uh, that the rate the touchdown rate has to come down. And I'm like really really shying away from Alshon Jeffrey. I think absolutely. Listen, the Eagles' touchdown rate was absurd, man. Carson Wentz would have four touchdowns at halftime. It felt like every week. <laughs> at the same time, if their touchdown rate goes down, their volume probably goes up, right? Because if they're not scoring three, four touch, 28, 21, 28 points in the first half, they probably have to kind of put their foot on the gas True. more in the second half. Um, with Jeffrey specifically, I think his touchdown rate will drop. I think that in the fifth round, I'm out. But I've done a ton of drafts, and this is, again, best ball. And I start seeing them fall to the seventh, eighth round because people are so worried about the pup that you take advantage of that. You know, like the Eagles already came out and said, we're really happy with it. He might miss a game or two, you know, or he might be ready for week one. And if he's ready for week one in the seventh, eighth round, I think absolutely. Uh, in the fifth round, I think you're absolutely right to pass on him. You know, it's just, it's just a Jeffrey's an at-cost guy for me where when everyone's down on him, I'll grab him. When if if a bunch of people are really targeting Jeffrey, I'm willing to avoid him. Yeah, oh, 100% agree. If I see him in the seventh round, you know, he's likely going to be, depending on how I draft, you know, my third or fourth even receiver than 100%. The, the upside is, is definitely there, and, and the value is, you know, unavoidable, really. Uh, but, yeah, in the fifth round, you know, it's kind of where I'm, where I'm talking about. Uh, yeah, I'm out on him there, too. To, to me, Alshon Jeffries one of those guys that it, wide receivers just don't produce in the first year when they change teams. I remember, um, uh, I think it was uh, John Paulson, uh, right for four for four fantasy, um, Oh, site. He wrote an article all about wide receiver production changing. And he's he compiled a bunch of data from the, from the '90s to the 2000s and that showed that there's about a 33 percent decrease in fantasy production for wide receivers um, in the first year that they come into a different team. So Alshon Jeffrey coming over to the Eagles, I think you know spelled him and kind of and, and kind of lowered his production. I, I really think with if he's healthy, which is is a big if. Um, and if you get him at the right value, which is right now what I think you are getting him, if you're getting him in the sixth or seventh round, um, Alshon Jeffrey could be a fantastic wide receiver two, wide receiver three that's going later and later in round in, in drafts. Um, and to me, I see, you know, yeah, I think the touchdowns are unsustainable, but Jeffrey is really the main wide receiver target there. Um, I, you know, they don't really, uh, focus on the running backs there. Um, yeah, pass catching, but Alshon Jeffrey is the one that's going to stretch the field for them um so to me alshon jeffrey is is a value in the sixth and seventh round i just want to throw one point in that can i just add one thing real quick with the, the wide receivers changing teams i think that's a really important point to make when people knock sammy Watkins so much for last year is that not only did he change teams but he changed teams like a week before the season started and it's really hard to gain very important chemistry in that time 100 that's that's why I'm like so low on Dez because even if he joins a team where he's going to be the wide receiver one, um, like he has to learn a whole new system, and I think that's going to really you know lower his production value. I think that's a good call, and and, and you're drafting Dez right now, having no idea where he's going to go if he's even going to play in the NFL this year. I know exactly. I, I was hopeful for the Browns, but you know I actually did. I actually this was I did a whole bunch of best ball like. Uh, a month ago, uh, and I scooped up Dez in a bunch of my best ball leagues. I figured, you know, when he does land somewhere, if he lands somewhere, he obviously he's going to have to learn a new offense, but he's going to have, like, I think Dez is, is, you know, a touchdown guy wherever he goes. He's going to, he's a big body in the end zone and he's going to have those touchdowns. So I was picking him up in a lot of best ball leagues just to, like, when I could get him, like, very, very late. But, uh, but other than that, I don't think he's going to be too valuable at this point. Um, I want to talk about one more guy before we switch gears, and that's Josh Gordon. And I'll give it to John to kick off uh, Josh Gordon. Well, Josh Gordon, like, he's been missing preseason. And, like, you know, uh, there's been, like, word that he's missing it because of uh, he doesn't want to be on hard knocks and it's going to, you know, help with his sobriety to be missing it. Um, but this is a guy who, for all intents and purposes, 
barely has played in the last three years. Uh, and, you know, different QB, different offensive coordinator, and he's missing time, valuable time in the preseason. And now they're saying he might not be even ready for week one, although he's healthy. There's like, you know, questions about, uh, I think he's, uh, he, he was, you know, had to post bail because he didn't pay uh, child, support. child support. So there's a lot of still things that like Josh Gordon is still dealing with um, as a result of his former life. Uh, just from a fantasy production, we're talking about an offense which, A, under Tyrod Taylor is probably not going to throw all that much. Carlos Hyde seems to have the dominant role as the running back there. Um, and then you have a thousand mouths to feed when you talk about Jarvis Landry and Josh Gordon and David Njoku and, and Duke Johnson. And, and that, you know, I love that offense now and I love the, the direction the Browns are going in. But Josh Gordon. If he's there week one and if he had been there for the whole preseason practicing with them would be, I think, a good value, but not where he's being drafted right now. And I don't like the fact that with Tyrod Taylor, teams, you know, throw less and run more. So unless Baker Mayfield is the one that's the QB there, Josh Gordon isn't somebody that I'm looking to draft at his value right now. I I think that point about Tyrod Taylor is really important. I know a lot of people like Taylor, and I think for fantasy, he's he's a fine QB too. But you know, he doesn't really take chances down the field. He will hold on to the ball for a long time, and his game much better suits Jarvis Landry than it does Josh Gordon. With all that being said, I would anticipate that. Uh, Baker Mayfield is the starting quarterback by week four or five. I think the Browns will lose their first two games. I think they play the Jets on Thursday night football. Uh, if they lose that game, they go to 0-3. They'll have a long week, and it makes a lot of sense to move to Baker, which I think will help Gordon. Uh, I got very little Gordon to start the year when he was going in the third round for all those reasons you just mentioned, on top of the fact that he's a risk to legit not play a single game this year. Um uh, when he when he when the whole again this is kind of similar to the Jeffrey thing where the whole league jumps off him and then he everyone's really worried about it and he falls to the seventh I'll take him for the sheer upside but uh, I I really kind of agree with a lot of the things you say and I think everyone just wants the Josh Gordon thing to work out over and over and over again year after year uh, he hasn't really been a dominant receiver in the NFL for what like five years <laughs> it's kind of crazy I mean I know he's still like 22 I don't know how this man doesn't age while he doesn't play football. But I'm aware that he's like 27 before anyone jumps on me on Twitter. Um, but I, I think the way you laid everything out is is perfect. Yeah, exactly. Any thoughts on that, Sam? Uh, no, uh, I'm good. I'm good on that. Uh, I'm good with the Josh Gordon evaluation. I just want to, before we switch gears uh, to play a little uh, game to end this um, to end this episode, um, I want to give it over to Elliot who. Uh, to talk about uh, his new website, the the Quant Edge. Um, it's a great website for, for for to give you tools to produce in your fantasy leagues, and I'm going to let him talk about that for a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, so yeah, if you go to thequantedge.com, uh, it's really desi- designed around DFS and betting. Um, it will absolutely help season-long teams, too, in terms of start-sit. We'll have uh, content. We're going to have about 20 articles and podcasts exclusive for our members per week. Uh, we're going to have the head-to-head tool, which allows you to compare any two players based on any metric you want, along with uh, compare them against their defense that week. So let's say you have John Ross going up against the Arizona Cardinals. You can see how the Cardinals do against uh, wide receiver ones, wide receiver twos, wide receiver threes based on you know target share or fantasy points per game or whatever it is or you know last year Gronk was going up against the Eagles and he dominated uh, the short left side of the field throughout the course of the season. The Eagles really struggled in that area. That's where they allowed their most targets. Then Gronk went for nine catches on 15 targets for 115 yards and two touchdowns. We're going to have side-by-side heat maps of both players and players against their matchups that week in the head-to-head tool. The injury tool allows you to take any player off the field, offense or defense, and see how he impacts his team. And that's by snap, not by game. So, you know, if Antonio Brown hasn't missed a game in two years and now he's out, you're going to get to see all the snaps that Brown didn't play um, as well as for any offensive player, you can see how it impacts every single offensive fantasy relevant player. So let's say David Bakhtiari is out. Uh, Aaron Rodgers' yards per attempt drops by a whole a whole yard when Bakhtiari is off the field. And you, you can see that information kind of at the click of a button. Wide receiver cornerback matchups based on where they line up on the field, based on rop type, based on coverage. So Mike Evans dominates zone coverage but struggles against man coverage and he's going up against a man corner that week. You can see all that information at a click of a button. Plus our optimizer, which will be coming soon, and a premium chat feature. Uh, all that's uh, $100 for the season. Um, 
but if you use promo code Elliot, you'll get fifteen percent off right now. So you you know you're gonna get a premium chat, a ton of content, tools that aren't out there uh, for much cheaper and than uh, the competition. And you know for eighty five dollars for the season, we think it's kind of the best value in the industry. That that sounds that sounds incredible. I'm checking out the website now. It really looks like. It has insane features. If you're into, if you play DFS, you definitely want to get a piece of this, uh, and and it'll definitely improve. Uh, you'll be better than the, the competition. Um, All right, let's move on to a little quick game here at the end. We're just a quick, quick question, and uh, it's almost like a superlatives kind of deal. Yeah, I'm just gonna throw, I'm gonna throw out a question, and each one's gonna, each one of us is gonna give you our guy. Maybe say a little bit, uh, a little bit about uh, the guy you're saying. But the first, the first question I have is. Who's your best value in the draft in terms of ADP right now, where they're following? Who are you going for um, because their ADP is so good? Kenny Stills. Kenny, I mean, Kenny Stills got 105 targets last year. You're looking at a guy that uh, there's 161 wide receiver targets available with Jarvis Landry. He's been more efficient in the slot when he actually runs there. He gets targets downfield. He had 17% market share last year, finished wide receiver 27 in PPR, going wide receiver 54. If he gets another 30 targets, he could end up being a top 15 wide receiver at a 10th round price tag. I love Kenny Stills, and you just summed that up perfectly. John, what about you? So my guy is is a lot higher in drafts. This is my nine, number nine wide receiver overall, and he's going in the middle to the end of the third round, and that's Doug Baldwin. Uh, just going uh, checking ADP, and this is as of uh, Friday when I was checking this. He's going as uh, 308, and I think he's dropping with this injury scare, and I'm just loving that and scooping him up. Um, you know, at the end of the third round, that's just a steal to me. He's going behind players like Adam Thielen, um, and Tyreek Hill, and just there's nobody really else to pass to. Like, who's there? Who's who's Russell Wilson going to throw to? Nick Vanette? It's like it's not going to happen. Doug Baldwin is going to get a lion's share of the targets in this in this offense. And I think, yeah, to me, last year was a down season for him. Doug Baldwin is going to finish as easily could easily finish as the top five wide receiver, and I've got him ranked ninth. Um, so to me, getting him at the end of the third round is is fantastic value. So. I have uh, I have another wide receiver here also going relatively early in drafts. My guy is Demarius Thomas. Um, he's being drafted as the 18th wide receiver off the board when he hasn't finished worse than the 16th wide receiver in, in PPR since before 2012. He's played every single game since then. He has 90 games in a row with five-plus targets. That's the highest streak since at least the year 2000. I think people are overlooking Demarius Thomas because he's had bad quarterback play uh, you know, for the past three and a half years since Peyton Manning's half season. Um, but I still love Demarius Thomas. I think things will get a little bit better with Keenum. And even if they don't get that much better, he still has not finished worse than wide receiver 16. Uh, next question I have, I'll go right back to John. Um, who's a guy that you like, but you wouldn't reach for because his ADB is too high? All right, this one's easy. I'm a Pats fan, and that's going to be Gronk. I've never, ever owned Gronk ever, and I kind of just want to own him once before he becomes, you know, retires to go play, re- uh, to do wrestling. Uh, but I just never draft a tight end early enough to grab Gronk. I'm always drafting a tight end at least, the earliest probably is the seventh round or something like that. So to me, I wish I could have Gronk. It's just the value at other positions is so much more higher of importance than the second or third round where he's going. Oh, I couldn't disagree any further than that. Gronk is the guy I'm targeting so much this year because it's the first time where you don't have to spend first-round price tag for a tight end that's going to see more targets this year, be the vocal point of the offense, and has twelve to 1,500-yard upside with 15-plus touchdown upside. I mean, I, you just threw me off so much there because Gronk's the guy I've been pounding the table for all offseason. So I don't I, – <laughs> um, it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not that I don't think people should, shouldn't draft him there. It's just it's somebody that I love, and I love the value that he's going for now, like in the third round, end of the second – it's just somebody that I'm not going to be drafting. I've never been, and I don't think this season I will be in a position to go ahead and draft him um, just based off of where my draft spots are. Um, sorry. Yeah, honestly, like this could go on for like three hours, so I don't want to do that. I want to answer the question. Um, LaShawn McCoy. I want no LaShawn McCoy. I think I think he's the, the easiest guy to lose you your entire league. He's got legit – uh, a zero point floor for the entire season if he gets suspended and you add in the fact that the offense is 
terrible. They're going to be trailing a lot, and he's over 30 years old behind an offensive line that lost uh, Wood and Glenn this year. I, I'm out on McCoy. So, right, so that leads me to my next question. I have I have McCoy uh, as my answer to the following question, which is, which is who are you afraid that he's going to fall to you? And that's that's LaShawn McCoy for me because I don't I really for all those reasons you mentioned I don't want any piece of him but I feel like we're gonna get to a place where like based on his usage he's going to he's going to put up some numbers and no one wants him and I feel like I'm just gonna end up having to take him somewhere I've seen him go I, I was in a league where he went in like the sixth round yeah, and he's dropping so like if if he falls to the eighth round there's no way I just can't with the with the upside of the amount of volume he's gonna have oh yeah no, I've never seen him go quite that far I think it was a fifth or sixth uh, round that I saw him I've seen him in. fall in the seventh in one of the leagues I was drafting and yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think that his legal issues are not going to take effect most likely until next season. And I, I just think at some point you're going to have to take him. And I, I just hope it's not me. I, I continue to see him go round three in every draft I've been in the last three weeks. Wow. Really? We just uh, – right. That's – so that this – We're drafting in very yeah. different circles. Yeah, I wish – I mean, if he's taking about round three, I won't have to worry about anything. But I've seen him fall to five, and I'm like, am I going to have to – am I going to have to do this? Um, See, I'm with I'm with you there. If he's there in five, I I have to take the shot. But I, I I've yet to see him fall like that since the since a few weeks ago that that McCoy wouldn't have popped in my head there. All right. Uh, do you have a, do you have a, do you have another guy who you're afraid might fall to you? Demarius Thomas is the guy that I'm afraid <laughs> might fall to. Me. That's good. That's that's a good answer actually. Um, so okay, the two more questions. One. Who's a double-digit guy going in double-digit rounds that you think is going to be a solid uh, flex play option? I can't use Kenny Stills again, right? Um, it's all right. You can use Kenny I, Stills because <laughs> me, me and Sam. Me, I just want to say, Kenny, me and Sam have the same guy for this one, also. So that's cool too. Um, Jordy Nelson is another one. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, those are a couple guys I'm targeting late. Kelvin Benjamin, uh, Eric Ebron's a tight end. I'm targeting really late that, but I, that's a late tight end, not a flex play. Um, now Matt Breida, but I, I just gave you way more than you wanted. So <laughs> <laughs> It's all good. It's all good. We'll take as much as we can get. All right, John, you want to go first? Yeah, guys? for me, for me, it's it's Mike Williams. He's going, what, like 127, 128 overall. 138, 138 overall. Um, with a fully healthy offseason, you have to remember last offseason, kind of the same idea with Sammy, these wide receivers. Um, he wasn't healthy, so he didn't really get time with Phillip Rivers. Um, and then he wasn't healthy last season also. So he had this is his first real full off season to get in, you know, in with the team and, and get reps in with Phillip rivers. And so I think he is really their only red zone guy, unless they go ahead and sign back, um, uh, uh, Antonio Gates. I don't think Virgil Green is all of a sudden going to pop and become become a guy uh, that's going to catch touchdowns. And Mike Williams is the only one that has the size to catch touchdowns. With Hunter Henry's injury, I think Mike Williams uh, could easily be, you know, a candidate for you know ten touchdowns on the season. Um, so I really like Mike Williams as well. But the guy I'm going to go with is Marquise Lee, also being drafted outside the uh, first ten rounds. And I think the uh, I mean, listen, I don't really want a big piece of the Jaguars passing offense, but I think if there's a guy you're going to take, it's going to be Lee, especially where he's going. Uh, he was their clear number one option last season, getting 96 targets in 14 games. He just signed a, uh, you know, a $38 million deal uh, for four years. Uh, he, he's the guy that I, that I like there. I wouldn't touch any of the other. I wouldn't take a chance on the Moncrief or Keelan Cole or D.D. Westbrook or, or any of those guys. But Marquis Lee is a guy I think at least for a flex play is going to get you solid numbers. Um, the last question I have here is uh, a top four running back and receiver uh, who, you're gonna think, who you think are going to finish. Top 24 running back and receiver who you think will finish outside the top 36 at their position. Elliot? LaShawn McCoy. <laughs> Uh, I know that's cheating. Um, it's it's not cheating. Fantasy football is all about strategizing and minim- Right. I'm just saying it, it's tough when you use the same answer on multiple players. I'm going to go uh, Demarius Thomas is the other one. And I understand his consistency uh, historically, but I think uh, his, his target share may drop some this year. And he's got a chance to kind of be a, a mediocre player. So for me, uh, running back, I think Jarek McKinnon has the potential to seriously bust. I get the hype. I understand that he's now in Kyle Shan's offense. Um, but 
But, you know, we've seen it where Jarek McKinnon was given the first and second down role and he didn't. I don't think he's going to survive. I think he's he's he doesn't have the physique. I don't think he has the uh, ability to be a first and second down back. Uh, and so I think that could really spell him and he could easily fall down into out of the top 36. Um, I won't I won't say Hill again for my claim again here, but I'll say Adam Thielen. Uh, I've gone on record saying and I was I was a big proponent of Thielen. I kind of uh, put him out there before he was hot uh, two seasons ago when um, Schumer came out uh, and became the offensive coordinator for the Vikings. Um, and to me. I think Thielen uh, with uh, with Kirk Cousins there, with Dalvin Cook emerging, uh, Kyle Rudolph is still there, and Stephon Diggs, I think, will finally have a full season where he reaches his potential. I think Adam Thielen was a product of uh, that Schumer's offense and not uh, the Vikings as a whole. And so I think Adam Thielen will finish outside the top 36. All right. Well, that's really all the time we have. I want to give a huge thanks to Elliot Chris for, for coming on and being with us and, and sharing all his uh, fantasy wisdom here. Thank you. Thank you so much, Elliot. I really appreciate you having me, guys. It was uh, This was a lot of fun. Um, got some Tyreek Hill and Rob Kronkowski takes out there that we, we might have to continue to debate at some time, but Absolutely. this is a lot of fun, Absolutely. really guys. appreciate Thanks you coming me. out. As always, I can be found on Twitter at A-B-I-S-H-A-I-41. John can be found at J-O-N underscore M-A-R-G-U-L-I-S. And don't forget to follow Elliot at Elliot Christ, right? Yep. E-L-I-O-T-C-R-I-S-T, Elliot Christ. That's all for this episode of the Performance Enhancing Podcast. See you all next time and enjoy your football.